Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, the supporting sponsor of this, the finest oncology pharmacy podcast in the eastern time zone of the state of Tennessee. Thanks for listening. Uh, tough weekend for me as a Purdue fan, uh, watching my Boilers, um, well, you know, lose one that I thought they had won. Uh, the good news is, Hopa 2019 is this week. I'll be flying out uh, tomorrow. I'm recording this on uh, Monday, the 1st of April. So, uh, love going to Hopa, the Hematology Oncology Pharmacist Association uh, annual conference this year in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, my first time back to Texas since uh, the last time Hopa was in Texas a few years ago when it was in Austin. Um, always look forward to, to going uh, to Hopa. Uh, Going to see some former students and trainees uh, who are off doing bigger and better things than I am. Uh, going to learn a whole lot. Um, and I'm going to share some of that with you when I, when I get back. Um, as someone who, who you know, prides himself on, on staying current and staying up to date, every time I go to Hopa, I learn something. I learn things that I didn't know I didn't know. And then I, I learned some things better than what I thought I, I currently had known. So great conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to it. Um, and if you're a listener of the podcast and you're there and you see me, say hi. Uh, you know, I'll be the guy in, in khakis and a blue shirt. So uh, say hey if you're a podcast listener, an Anku Farm aficionado. Uh, let me know what you like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. Today I'm going to uh, debut a new... Um, a new type of podcast that I'm going to call uh, Oncofarm M&M. Uh, so some of you may be familiar with a kind of a staple of medical training, which is a morbidity and mortality report. In fact, the CDC puts out a morbidity and mortality weekly report, but a lot of medical, uh, you know, uh, residency training programs will have, you know, a monthly M&M conference, morbidity and mortality. And if you watch a lot of medical dramas, you know, these things come up after things go bad with a patient. And, um, you know, I think there's a there's a Scrubs episode uh, about M&M. And Scrubs, not just the funniest uh, medical show, but also the most accurate, uh, depicts it pretty well. So there are a lot of different ways that you could do an M&M um, or types of cases that make for good M&M reports. So it would be like a rare disease or an odd presentation, you know. A common medical uh, title for something would be such and such disease masquerading as chest pain. You know, like uh, diabetes masquerading as chest pain or something like that. Uh, so kind of a rare disease, something atypical, uh, and there should be a lot of teaching points uh, that go along with this. Another staple of M&Ms are where things did not go right, and we look back and say, uh, why did this not go right, and how can we prevent that from happening in the future? And it really should be in a non-punitive way. So uh, I'm going to debut this today. So this is actually a a case report that's been published in the medical literature. Uh, One of the best case reports I've ever read. And of course, if you've heard any attending physician say something along those lines, you know who wrote this. So this was something that that we published in the Journal of Oncology Pharmacy Practice back in 2017. Uh, This is not done for the purposes of shameless self-promotion. That is just an added bonus. So. Here's the story, uh, and th- there will be several things to learn from this uh, for you, I hope. So a lady uh, in her mid-70s, and I'll, I'll tweet out the, the link to this case report so you can read the further details. So a lady in her 70s with follicular lymphoma uh, presents with lethargy. Uh, she's alert uh, to the emergency department. She's alert-oriented times two. 
Uh, she's alerted, uh, oriented to person uh, and to place, but not to time. Uh, and respiratory acidosis. Uh, her pH was 7.3 and a PCO2 of 63. Uh, is diagnosed with type 2 respiratory failure. She's put on BiPAP, supplemental oxygen, and uh, after a couple days recovers. So something like this happens as the pharmacist. Uh, I'm not thinking... COPD or PE, the physicians can think that. I, I focus on the drugs and in going through her drugs. So, you know, this person, because of her follicular lymphoma history, winds up on a hemonc service. So the first thing I do is look at the medications and I see that she started a new medication uh, nine or 10 days ago, idolalacid, a PI3 kinase inhibitor, uh, which was at that time approved six months prior, roughly, for follicular lymphoma. So a relatively new drug or a not just relatively, a new drug at the time on the market. Um, so my first thing, uh, as someone who stays current, is I've heard of the drug. I know it's a PI3 kinase inhibitor. That's about all I know. I know that prior PI3 kinase inhibitors had some hepatotoxicity. Well, that doesn't explain this. So my first thing is let's look at the package insert and see if the drug itself can cause this type of lethargy confusion. Don't see that. I know she's also on diazepam. Uh, which certainly fits with uh, her symptoms uh, as far as, you know, too much benzodiazepine. And as I scroll through the package insert, I see in the drug interaction section that idolalcib is a potent 3A4 inhibitor. Uh, so a potent CYP3A4 inhibitor means it's going to increase the AUC of a 3A4 substrate like midazolam by, you know, more than fivefold. And... Uh, the package insert describes a, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, a, a single-dose study where patients uh, were given a dose of midazolam while on idolalcib, and the area under the curve um, increased by a fivefold. In other words, patients taking uh, midazolam while on idolalcib had a fivefold increase in drug exposure uh, to midazolam. So it's a pretty potent drug interaction, like one milligram of midazolam or versed is five is what the patient experience, experiences if they're on idolalacin. Well, I know that diazepam is a benzodiazepine just like midazolam. Uh, you know, it's, I look it up, it is a 3 or 4 substrate. So likely what has happened, and this is what we say in the case report, is that, this, that there is a severe drug interaction that led to uh, too much di diazepam in her system. Now, we were very confident of this. We didn't send off for some fancy diazepam level to try to confirm that because we were pretty confident that's what it was. Uh, so what did we do? What would you do, oncology pharmacy trainees? Uh, can't really stop the idolalacid. I mean, we, we held it for a period of time, but if this is the best drug at the time for her follicular lymphoma, we got to put her back on that. But we can change to a, di a benzodiazepine uh, that does not... Uh, metabolized by CYP34, uh, which would be lorazepam. Of course, we would try and stop it if we could. Why is a 70-year-old person on diazepam? I don't know. That was not our call. Um, so anyway, changes this pa patient to lorazepam, goes on and does well on that combination, drug interaction avoided. So as far as uh, an M&M for his morbidity, uh, what can we learn from this? One, uh, you know, that there is this drug interaction. Um, that's one thing we can learn. Another thing that we can learn is that there is potentially a blind spot in checking for drug-drug interactions in drugs that are newly approved and out on the market. And this was something that I think uh, really got this case report published. Otherwise, it's pretty clear that it's a drug-drug interaction. We, of course, use the drug interaction probability scale uh, to, 
to uh, identify this as a probable drug interaction. Um, so immediately after this happened, I go back to my office and I check four commonly used drug-drug interaction databases. And you can see which ones uh, in the case report. Uh, and two of the four flagged this as a drug interaction. The other, four, the other two did not. So if you were a pharmacist or prescriber and you prescribed this idlalacib, uh, if you looked at only one of those drug interaction databases, uh, potentially one of those two, you would have missed it. Um, so I always advocate folks to look at several databases if they're in a hurry. Ideally, go through the package insert and look and make sure that uh, if a drug like idlalacib is a 3 or 4 substrate or a 3 or 4 inhibitor, you look at all the other patients' concomitant medications to look for any 3 or 4 substrates that might interact and then uh, do your best uh, assessment of what would happen in su with such of an interaction. Uh, another thing that we can learn is that um, at the time, two of the four databases did not flag this. And that's because the package insert does not say there's a drug interaction with idlalacib and uh, daisapam. It says there's one with midazolam. Uh, you have to then make a, an educated guess that that same interaction would happen with other 3A4 substrates in the same pharmacologic class, uh, diazepam and midazolam, respectively. Uh, some of the databases apparently made that educated leap. Others did not. Or maybe they just didn't get around to it because the drug was relatively new. I don't know. Um, but as clinicians, that's a, a potential blind spot that we should be aware of. Uh, and then the other thing to learn is if you are uh, a clinician, uh, there is value to identifying these things and to publishing them, not just to, to build your own CV, uh, but there is value in doing so to share that knowledge with others because now drug interaction databases cite this publication uh, as evidence that this drug interaction not only is not just theoretical, but that in effect has likely uh, caused some patient morbidity. Uh, so that's the first, uh, the first of our Oncopharm M&M. If you've got a case report uh, that you think uh, has some teaching points, learning points you'd like to share, uh, let me know about it. We'll, we'll do these periodically going forward. It's always good to learn uh, from these types of, of adverse drug events uh, so we can learn how not to make these, these mistakes in the future as they happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, in future episodes of the pod, next week I'll probably do a, a, a recap of what I learned uh, at HOPA from this coming week. Uh, I had a request from a listener uh, who messaged me on, on the social medias about uh, talking about pain management potentially in cancer patients, and I'll put that together too sometime in the next couple months. So if you do have ideas, please let me know on social media. You can find me on Twitter at uh, FarmDeetNib. You can find me, uh, the podcast at Twitter, on Twitter uh, at, what is it? That's right, OncoFarmPod, and that's the same handle where you can find me on Instagram. And uh, as always, doses matter. Mm -hmm.